Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. know what the worst thing about the internet is? Well, maybe not the worst thing because there's some really evil stuff that happens on the internet that we just don't have time to get into today. But the thing that maybe you and I and every celebrity and politician that has lived in the modern era probably wishes wasn't true about the internet is the way that it never forgets, right? It never loses any information. Like, once it's out there, it's never going away, right? There's no completely scrubbing it, which is really good when it comes to, like, really important information about how civilization is meant to survive. Even better, if it's the information like your grandmother's cheesecake recipe. But when it's something that maybe you wish didn't exist anymore about your life in the past, it's not ideal, right? Facebook and I'm sure uh, every other social media platform does this thing where every single day they offer you memories of what you were doing on that date in previous years, which is sometimes super great because who doesn't want to see Photos of their kids or their friends, their vacations, their dogs from the past, right? It's nostalgic and it's nice. But here's the thing that I run into every now and then is that uh, I've, been on, uh, I've been on the old Facebook for uh, about 20 years. It was developed for college students when I was a college student. So I was on the, the cutting edge of this thing that has changed our entire world, right? But 20 years ago, well, really up until like, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I wasn't necessarily known for making wise life choices, right? I was in college and post-college. And so it's all well and good because that's all in the past until Facebook reminds me what you were doing on this day in 2004. I was an idiot. (laughs) That's what I was doing. (laughs) However, you know, when you move past the cringe-worthy moments that make up, you know, a better part of a decade of my life, and I hope your life too. I hope your 20s to 30s, you know, you weren't a saint. Like, (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm granted the ability to look back and, and reflect on, you know, just what the heck was actually going on inside of my brain, right? What was going on inside of my heart in those times? And like, what I find is that I was just simply a human being, right? Just fumbling around, trying to figure out this world. 
and I wasn't very good at it. Unfortunately, when you're in the moment, you're unwilling or unable to see, you know, just how much you are your own worst enemy, right? Does any of this resonate with y'all? Yeah, yeah, all right, good. I'm not alone in the room. <laughs> like, do you ever look back on your, on your younger life when you thought that you knew everything and realize that you actually knew nothing? Not a thing. I can still remember the day I was driving in my car, and I forget what I was thinking about, but it dawned on me, oh, no. My dad was right about everything, every single thing. I was like 35 at that point, you know? <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. But that's besides the point. The point is that maturing, particularly maturing as a Christian, means that we're able to honestly look at our lives and see how our greatest messes were the product of our own inability to live our lives in accordance with how God has called us to live. Even when we know exactly how it is that God wants us to live. What we find is that over and over again throughout our lives, we betray ourselves and our one true calling from God to love him with all of our hearts and to love our neighbors time and time again throughout our lives. That is our reality. That is part of our human nature, to just do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And then when we get the same results that we always get, to blame anyone and everyone outside of ourselves for getting the same thing that we've always gotten. It's part of being human. It's part of self-preservation. But that is not who we are created to be. I mean, it's part of our nature, but it's not meant to be our destiny. You know, there is an enemy out there. But our call is not to let the enemy become our identity. Our call is to allow Christ to become our identity. So we're in the midst of a sermon series called In the Wilderness, where we are going through the book of Numbers in order to see how human betrayal and failure is overcome and healed by God's faithfulness. And what we've found so far is that God has blessed humanity and offered us peace. Particularly, he has offered us this concept of shalom, a type of restorative peace that truly exhibits God's desire for humans and for the world. And while the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness on their way to the land that God has promised to them through their ancestor Abraham, they engage in all kinds of different betrayal aimed towards their leader, Moses. All types of betrayal that we experience in our lives thousands of years later still. So we've looked at, you know, when family betrays us. And when those who are closest to us and in our innermost circle of friends betray us. And we've looked at when communities that we belong to betray us. 
And the overarching theme here throughout all of this betrayal is that healing begins with God. That God is the one who promises to make things right. That God is the primary agent in healing our broken relationships. And that's all because that peace, that shalom, that God promises to us is God's gift to give to us. It's not ours to forcefully take. It's ours to receive and to offer to those whom we wish to reconcile. But today we're going to shift gears because we've been talking about other people a lot. But today we're going to move in a new direction. Today we're going to take a look on the inside and see how sometimes the one who betrays us is the human being that we look at in the mirror every morning. We're going to move ahead in the book of Numbers to chapter 20. And what's happened since that last rebellion that we talked about last week, the one where the Israelites wanted to kill Moses and Aaron, is, well, a bunch more little rebellions just like it. People never learn, and it all kind of hits a climax in Numbers chapter 20, starting with verse 2. It says, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we have died when our kindred died before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? to bring us to this wretched place. It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there, there's no water to drink. So if you're like, wait, I thought this was going to be about me on the inside. Well, we're going to get there. The Israelites are kind of doing that themselves, right? Just constantly, over and over again, falling back into this same cycle of complaint, doing the same song and dance. This time, they're thirsty, and they're mad at Moses. Big surprise. And they're like, we want to go back to Egypt. Big surprise. It's where they always want to go. It's like a broken record, right? Over and over again for 40 years, this is what they do. Well, here's what happens next. Spoiler alert, it involves God. It says, so then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them, and thus you should provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. Okay, so Moses and Aaron go to the tent of meeting, the place where God meets with them. It's a creative name, right? And they're probably like, God, what the heck is wrong with these people? Like, what's, what's up with your people, dude? Again, here we are again. And God responds to them like, hey, listen, man, they're thirsty. You get mad when you're thirsty, right? I get it. 
I hear them grumbling against you, Moses, and so what I want you to do is I want you to go out there. I want you to show them that, that I'm still here. I'm still with them. Show them that I'm still for them. Show them that even though they've been quite terrible, actually they've been awful, show them that I still want to provide for them. So what I want you to do, take the staff, go to the rock, and speak to it. Then they will know. They'll know that I'm still the one who is with them, that I'm still the one who is leading you while you lead them. So this is what Moses does. So, so Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. So Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock twice with his staff. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. And at first you glance, you're like, you're like, hey, well, okay, that's great, right? Mission accomplished. Moses did the thing. He was kind of arrogant about it, you know, the whole rebels talk. But the people, and more importantly than the people, the cows got something to drink, right? So, yay. Good job, Moses. But it's not yay. In fact, it's actually pretty bad. It, it's very bad. God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. Not once, but twice. Probably letting out a little steam, a little frustration on these folks. And to further the thing that's really going on, Moses asked the people, shall we, as in me and my brother Moses, in our human power, bring water from this rock? What Moses has done, and it's very subtle, it's almost hidden by English, but it's very important, is he has placed himself in God's position. See, if Moses just spoke to the rock like God had told him to, God is glorified, right? Because if I speak to a naturally occurring object out in the wilderness, in the desert, and water starts flowing from it, you're going to be like, man, there's something else going on here. But instead, Moses strikes the rock, exerting like physical strength. And what that does is it skews the reality of who has caused this to happen. Because the reality is that God made water flow from the rock regardless of how the rock was interacted with. The difference is the way that this is perceived by the people. The difference is the motive that Moses has. What Moses wanted was for once in his life for these people to respect his leadership. For them to see maybe how frustrated he was with them. And that's what he got. But the rewards, they don't really pan out for him. Because as we find time and time again in this book that we read, in God's story, is that God doesn't really like to be replaced or displaced from the place of 
honor and glory. And so this is what God responds to Moses and Aaron with. It says, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And so these are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and by which he showed his holiness. And that's it. Like, there's no more chances for Moses to make it into the promised land. God says, you're not going in there. Last week, we saw how God pronounced that same judgment on the entire wilderness generation. And now Moses and Aaron have qualified for that punishment as well. They're given the same fate. They will not see their quest to the promised land through. But remember that last week, that didn't mean that God abandoned the people. And it means that this week, God has not abandoned Moses. God is still with Moses. Moses still has work to do. And in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't even tarnish the legacy of Moses. Moses goes down as the greatest leader of all of Israel, the one that the people looked for the second coming of. Moses was the greatest leader that Israel ever had. Moses is the one who saw God face to face. Moses and God had a special relationship the type of relationship that no one would ever have again until he was bested by Jesus Christ himself as Jesus was God and human in the same body. But Moses is left with this consequence of his actions. Because Moses tried to take the authority of God upon himself, he shut off from truly living into the fullness of the life that God had wanted him to have. And Moses, who is traditionally cre credited with writing this entire portion of Scripture, got, he got to relive that moment, right? <laughs> as he wrote it and as he read it to the people, he got to come face to face with his own Facebook memory of a time that he was an idiot. Come face to face with the fact that he was his own worst enemy, that he betrayed himself. And here's the deal. We do this. Every human does this. We, we think it's bad when we are betrayed by those around us. But the real pain comes from staring in the mirror and realizing that the person who messed up our life the most is staring back at us. We try to be our own God. We try to take God's authority away from him. We make our lives all about exerting our own power and influence in an attempt to bring ourselves glory, all the while ignoring the simple reality that we were created to bring glory and point to God. And it's time for us to heal from that. 
So what does Moses do to heal from the bitter sting of self-betrayal? Well, he takes a play from the Michael Jackson playbook. He starts with the man in the mirror, right? He changes his ways. (laughs) Particularly, what Moses does is he goes on to faithfully lead the Israelites up to the edge of the promised land in a way that glorifies God, knowing full well he's not going in there. He stands up and he preaches a sermon called the book of Deuteronomy to teach the children of the wilderness generation how they can live in a way that glorifies God once they cross the Jordan River into the promised land. He puts one foot in front of the other knowing that he'll never reap the full rewards of his work. He still continues to believe that God has a plan for him and then lives it out. And this is what we're called to do as well. We're called to learn from the past and move on into a new future. The past is a place that we have to visit from time to time, but it's not the place where we live anymore. So if you're living with guilt and shame from where you've messed up your own life, it's time to drop the rock. It's time to move on. It's time to heal. It's time to let Jesus lead and for you to just simply follow. Because Jesus said, I will give you living water. Water that will make you never thirst again. So let's drink from the living water today. Let's draw long, deep draws from the well of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. Let's allow that to transform our hearts and our minds forever. You know, On the night before Jesus went to face the cross, knowing what was coming down the pipe for him, he gathered his friends together, his followers, the the first church. Knowing full well that they were just a band of betrayers, that one of them was actively enacting a plan to turn him over to be crucified, knowing that one of them would deny even knowing him just 12 hours or so in the future, knowing full well that one of them would refuse to believe that he would come out of the grave until he saw the hands and the side pierced himself, knowing that after he died, that they would all retreat, go and hide. Still, he gathered his friends. He washed their feet, prayed for them, prayed with them, and broke bread with them. He took bread and gave thanks to God. He broke it. And he gave it to each of them, and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you, and you, and you, all you band of rebels and betrayers. Take and eat. 
do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And he gave thanks to God. He said, listen, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you gather, drink in remembrance of me. And so God, we invite you here. and We ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of, of bread and juice. God, we ask that they would be for us, your body and your blood. That we might be as a church, as a human family, your body, broken but blessed, redeemed, to go out in mission and ministry to your world, to grow your family, to open and invite all to come and sit at the table with us at your table. So Holy Spirit, come, refresh us, renew us. You are the bread of life. You give us the cup of salvation. You offer us living water. All so that we might be transformed and that we might transform our world. It's in the name of your holy and precious Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to come and take communion, receive communion as you are led. I just want you to know that this is an open table. There's no requirements of membership. You don't need to belong to this church. You don't need to belong to United Methodist Church. You don't need to belong to any church because you already belong to God. All that we ask is that you come with a heart that recognizes that reality and seeks to taste the goodness of what Christ has done for you. So come. Mm -hmm.